Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is not trying to find a justification for losing billions of dollars in market value. I'm Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. He is Andrew Page from strongman.com, which was on the tip of my tongue, Andrew. What is strongman.com you, again? You almost had it. We're, we're an almost. online private investment club. That's right. You are too. Who would have thought? Uh, if, you ever, if you ever get that that really down to like a four-word phrase that I can remember, that'd be really helpful for me because <laughs> otherwise I'm, I'm really struggling with that. Mate, how are you? <laughs> I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Excellent. Or else, uh, yeah, everything considered, um, you know, the, the markets are, uh, are doing their thing. <laughs> they are, aren't they? Lots of, uh, lots of volatility abounds, but hey, that's what keeps it interesting. It does indeed, doesn't it? Now, we are recording this early this week. We normally record on a Thursday morning. This one's been recorded on Tuesday afternoon. So if something dramatic has happened in the, last, in the next couple of days after we record this and before you listen to it, our apologies for missing it entirely. If the whole financial system comes to a crash, we might do a live one on Friday. But other than that, other than that, uh, you can assume that uh, whatever happened on Wednesday and Thursday this week has in your, well, you found out it before we did. Put it that way, because we're still on a Tuesday. But we have already got lots of stuff to chat about, mate. I, um, I mentioned the billions of dollars worth of market cap because it was <laughs> fascinating to me. Uh, today, we read in the Financial Review, again, this is Tuesday, that Kathy Wood, the uh, somewhat celebrity fund manager, the high priestess of growth investing these days, who runs a, uh, a fund called ARK, A-R-K, Investments or Investing or something, uh, super, super, like rock star, high priestess, as I said, for those who follow <clears throat> Kathy and her style, big on Tesla, big on all those kind of, you know, uh, hyper growth stocks, all about the next lot of transformational change and how everything apparently was super, super, super cheap six months ago and now is a lot, lot cheaper. Um, she has written an open letter to US Fed Chair Jerome Powell saying, Jay, mate, um, I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. I think you're risking some some damage here. There might be a recession if you keep this stuff up. Uh, dude, would you mind not? <clears throat> and I just thought this was fascinating, mate. I, I, um, I hope people can hear the mirth in my voice. Uh, I don't dislike anyone particularly. Uh, but when you, when you made your name on buying, let me say very highly priced tech and growth stocks, and then made a case for those very highly priced tech and growth stocks actually being really, 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 really cheap because what was going to happen next... And if some of those have fallen 40, 50, 60%, ordinarily, you'd be pretty happy you get to buy even more of them at an even cheaper price. It sounds to me like Kathy's saying, Jay, this really hurts. Please make it stop. <laughs> and I, I don't mind even thinking that. You and I have said before on this podcast that we have, we have both suffered losses in the last 12 or 18 months because you, know, you are a little bit growthier than I am as an investor, but we both like a bit of growth. We're both happy to pay up for future value and we've both been hurt by, by some share price falls. So I share Kathy Wood's pain to some degree. I gotta say, it never occurred to me to write an open letter to Phil Lowe saying, "Phil, this is not. This is kind of hurting my share prices. Would you mind? Uh, would you mind fixing this for me? Uh, am I am I being unfair? Is is Kathy Wood right? Am I wrong? Is am I just am I am I assuming too much in my assessment? You know, everyone's got an opinion when it comes to uh, interest rates and what central oh, banks totally. um, should do. We've, we've, um, we've, we've given plenty of them. But see, yeah, neither you nor I have written an open letter to, to the Reserve Bank or the Fed. That, that's the bit that kind of, it's not that she was asked to have an answer. It was like, she's literally taken the time out to write an open letter and publish it. Dear Jay, love Kathy. That's the bit that kind of, that seems a bit too OTT for me. I think it's genius. I'll give Tell it credit where it's due. Tell me why. Um, because she's not writing a letter to the Fed. Yeah. She's she's putting out a marketing piece. <laughs> and, and 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 so what's happened? It's on it's on all the papers. It's yep. all over Twitter. Yep. Everyone in the investment circles is talking about it. <laughs> 
genius. Genius. Oh. The, what what you want is to is to stay in everyone's um, sights, right? I suppose you, you, every, we're all, you know, the whole industry is out there desperately yeah. competing for investor capital. I guess. And she's found a way to to very deftly and, and cleverly put herself at the center of that. And, and well, yeah, a lot of people are piling on. Some people love her, some people hate her. Mm. But I, I say if, you know, there's, there's, um, there's the old saying, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Mm. And so that's the that's the thing here. Is Kathy out there, is she got that much hubris where she thinks that she can write an open letter and that the this, the world's biggest central bank is going to change policy on her say so? If that's the case, well, she's obviously deluded. Um, or <laughs> I think we said that safely. Yes. Or is she just is she just trying for mm. a bit of publicity? I, I would I would I'm uh, surmising it's the latter, and in mm. that case, yeah, hats off. That's is off there, to you, Kathy. Is there any part of it in between which is uh, it's not my fault, it's his fault? So, yeah, I know the fund's losing value, but don't don't blame me. Blame Uncle Jay because he's the one who's responsible for this. Uh, I'm really sorry. If I had my way, your share prices would be higher, dear fund, mem- fund members and fund investors. And so, really, don't look at me, look at him. I'm sure. Look, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there is. I mean, we all like to weave a narrative around ourselves that, that paints us in the best possible light mm. and she's only human. So I'm sure <laughs> that there is some, some part of that. Yeah. And this is, this is the hard thing that I, I think from, from anyone sort of trying to evaluate it from the outside is that even when people, she could well be right. I mean, yes. how many times oh, totally. did Buffett I get completely. called a fraud yeah. and, yeah. and he, he's lost his touch like yeah. a thousand times in his career. Yeah. And then, you know, sooner or later it just comes as actually, no, he was right. Mm. But gosh, he looked like an idiot for a long time. Mm. Um, I'm not even saying so she's I, wrong. I really- I just, it's, it's just more the hubris to your point of, of that whole idea of like, you know, deciding that you are someone who can pen an open letter to the Fed. I just, I, you know, so here's the thing. I, like I've, I've, been, I've been a bit sceptical of Kathy Wood because it's one of those, you know, everything is cheap, everything is cheap, no matter how high the prices were, everything is cheap. Yeah, and it yeah. just struck me as, I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this. It was um, courageous, as they would say in Yes Minister, at best. Right, to make that case, particularly. Yeah. To make, and say it so incredibly strongly, right? And yeah. some of these people absolutely just believe their own press and believe they are so convinced of their idea they, they couldn't imagine anything else. Others are maybe, allegedly, possibly, trying to just manage in fund inflows and, you know, I want more, more of your money to manage. Can I have it, please? Some of them are trying to, at some point, Kathy and Warren's probably the same, frankly, are powerful enough that if they say, I'm buying more Tesla, maybe everyone buys more Tesla because, you know, Kathy Wood's buying it, so it must be right. I guess that make some sense at some level. Um, it just struck me as, uh, when you talk your book so directly and obviously, I, I, to, the, the point of hubris is almost, it's almost multiplied for me. It's almost that idea of like, you, 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 were, you were arrogant enough to say, share price cheap when they're stupidly expensive. Then when they go down, you're arrogant enough or hubristic enough or something to blame other people for that problem. It just, it just yeah. feels very, it feels very Teflon-y, feels very like, and then, and then as I said to her, Followers, yes, I'm. Re- there will be people listening to this right now who are like, "Don't you dare take Kathy's name in vain. She is, you know, she she is more important than you guys will ever be." And that's probably also true. Um, true. But uh, but but you know, there there is some sense that she does. She has a a legion of really loyal followers. She's made the case. They've drunk the Kool Aid. Mm. Um, and again, I, I'm very aware that I say that as you know, a, a, a happy Warren Buffett acolyte. I've drunk the Buffett Kool Aid for sure. I'm not going to, you know, Kathy's not the first person to get investors to you know jump on board and. You know, uh, the, the the stuff doesn't stink, but yeah, I don't know. Just it just it doesn't do her any favors in my eyes, and maybe maybe that does, she doesn't care because I'm not the person she's trying to impress. But 
I don't know if you if you if you're on the Kathy Wood love train, maybe maybe everything she says is okay, maybe just more of it is better than less of it. In this age of post-Trump, kind of you know, just just keep saying it, keep saying it, keep saying it. Maybe it's the right strategy. I don't know. Yeah, I just yeah, it's I should, in my crawl. Oh yeah, look, look, I I get you, and I'm I'm I am being just a little bit um, uh, devil's advocate here. Yeah, definitely. Um, but and I and I, I uh, it's very. <laughs> In any cycle of the market, mm, mm. there are these heroes that are created. Yeah, it's very, true. very difficult after the fact to work out, <laughs> were you just the person yeah. employing the right strategy at the right time? Mm, at any mm. other point in history, in any other market <laughs> at the world, yeah, you know, you just, you're, 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 your fund is collapsing within, right? within three years. Yes, yes. I, I don't know. I don't know. Now, I will say this. I mean, I, I, a lot of people, and I'll just say it to save other people saying it, <laughs> is that, you know, some of the biggest funds that, that she's got there since mm. inception in 2014 mm, mm. have delivered exceptional returns. So, you know, down 60% in the last year. Um, but, mm, you know, mm. it's kind of like it's got what we've seen for things like Netflix and uh, uh, Zoom and some very, very big, you know, ostensibly pretty decent companies. Mm, mm. But overall, that that return has been very, very, very attractive. So it, it's one of those things where I would, I think we, at a point you get to make an objective judgment. And this is where Buffett's a good a good. Um, invested a point to because I think after 55 years or whatever it's been it's kind of like all right there's been enough cycles in the you know (laughs) to to say that clearly there's something that's not we can't just purely put down to luck and maybe with Kathy who sort of started in I want to sort of say it was post GFC some of these funds starting in 2012 2014 she's she's been investing in the exact right strategy mm. for the time mm. uh, where markets just went uh, on a massive tear and she went in big tech, she went in growth and she, she made a fortune doing that. Mm. Uh, maybe in 20 years' time we'll look back and go, actually, yeah, she was. turns out she was absolutely right. So it's, so I just want to make that point because because podcasts are on the internet forever and I'm <laughs> playing this back. Well, that's, um, a, that's actually the thing, man. Like, I, I you know, I was gonna, we, we are going to say on Sunday because uh, we pre-recorded the Barbag episode before this one, weirdly enough. We're going to say on Sunday, uh, talk about David Gardner's uh, long-term uh, success and the fact that buying stocks while the market was just absolutely just losing its mind during the GFC was painful in the first place. I'm not for a second saying Kathy Wood is not a good investor or can't do well or isn't going to do well from here or even from the original point uh, at all for, for a second. I have no no view on that. I am uh, pretty agnostic on a lot of the companies she recommends or has owned. I own some of them myself. I don't own others. Um, so I like completely open to what might happen next. It's 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 the hubris of the actions and the words that get me now. Not it's not this is not a victory lap about Kathy Woods. Obviously wrong. She obviously won't make any money. I think her long term story in some of the companies she owns is absolutely spot on. I think the changes that we are seeing in society will continue to wreak <laughs> havoc and create lots of value at the same time. Um, I completely 100 percent agree with you. And thank you for for raising it because you can do the point to differentiate between the two. Um, I just I just find the you know. Um, you're doing something that's hurting my share price. I wish you would stop doing it, please, thing. You know, Buffett never came out and said, actually, look, this is hurting equity markets. Can you please change? You know, and just, mm-hmm. I think it's fine to say, look, I, I, I will absolutely put my hand up. I'm no, I'm no Buffett, nor am I a Kathy Wood, but I will happily say my share is getting smashed because rates are going up and they're still the right thing to do, in my view, right? I, yes, I, I would like to be richer. That would be lovely, please. But I can separate out my portfolio losing. If my members return suffering, because the central banks are, in my view, doing exactly the right thing. Now, I could be wrong again, as you said before, mate, but I think you can have this. I hope more people can have that view of it hurts, but it's still the right thing to do rather than the self, you know, possibly, allegedly self justifying view of 
is make my shares go down. I wish you would stop because I don't care what else happens as long as my share price goes up. That to me strikes me as again a little bit hubristic. Yeah, and we have to we have to always I think for any kind of market commentator ourselves mm-hmm. included, people are always going to have a tendency to talk their book as they oh, say to yeah. weave a narrative that paints them in the best. It's just it's yep. human nature. It's natural. So yep. I think it's, it's whether it's Kathy, whether it's yep. anyone. I think there's always it's always good to have a healthy dose mm. of skepticism. Mm. People will be talking their own book. Um, mm. It probably it's, it's not even a. a, a, a the wrong thing to do i mean if you're a passionate but i'll passionately tell you what i hold and why i hold mm-hmm. it and why i think it's great am i trying to con yeah, it? I agree no i just I, gen- yeah. I just i yeah. just genuinely believe it yeah. now doesn't mean i'm right so that's that's the hard part to tease apart <laughs> yeah, is, is like exactly. who here is being the, the cynical yep. um fraudster yep. and who's being just the yeah. maybe naive yeah. but but genuinely you know i believer in in what they're doing and mm-hmm. i don't know i don't i don't know what it is but yeah i mean she 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 she, she as and her strategy mm. will not benefit from aggressively higher rates no, no they won't um no. reminds me of the line it's not a lie if you believe it right it's i mean it's said in jest but it's actually it's true like literally it's true you can't yeah. be lying if you believe what you're saying there is and that's why that's why frauds is hard. i've said before about warren buffett right the, the best way to to make a lot of money is be Warren Buffett. The second best way is to be a fraud and pretend you're Warren Buffett. Yeah. You know, you've, people, I, I've had, we've had people we work with, other people, other people say, oh, that, I love that annual letter from that CEO. It's very Buffett-like. And it's either like, yeah, he's obviously really like Buffett or yeah, he realizes if you're a con man, you've got to be believable. And the best way to do that is to sound like Warren Buffett. And not to say that they're right or wrong. It's just to say, you know, the words are really easy to copy. You know, the, yeah. the sincerity of the person behind them, that's what you got to try and tease out as you, as you say. Mate, oh, you you try and find a fund manager who does who doesn't mention somewhere yeah. that they're looking for companies with wide moats. Yeah, know? exactly. I mean, who, who's out there with a with a, a fund disclosure document saying we're actually looking for companies with no competitive advantage? <laughs> like, right. We're going to find the worst possible companies you're you can load up on them. Exactly. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, um, let's, let's, speaking of CEOs and speaking of people who have conviction, I want to ask you about AGM season because it's we love seasons in investing. I, I read in the AFR again this morning, AGM season is about to start. And it's not earnings season, it's AGM season, it's AGM season, it's confession season, it's not confession season, it's something else. There's, there's a season for everything. The only other thing we like is better than that is rallies, Santa Claus rallies and all that kind of stuff. But oh um, yeah, exactly. But the AGMs are about to start generally speaking for most companies again they kind of tend to be about a month or so two months after the release of results which are about two months after the end of the financial year and so on and so on goes um and i am curious as to your thoughts about agms i on one hand it is the opportunity for shareholders to look management in the eye to hear from them to have their questions answered on the other hand it's a dog and pony show with tea and free scones and biscuits for uh, the retiree set i don't, I don't say to, to uh, besmirch any retiree listening but you know there, there is a there is a very well-worn um you know uh, stereotype of, of the people who tend to go to these things because they're not probably not working and they're probably happy to go to something they probably own lots of shares because they've been investing forever um and so everyone gets a nice shake and you know clap on the back shake of the hand free turn coffee off you go thanks for coming um, I answered a couple of token questions. We passed the resolution we had to pass because that's what the AGMAX is actually about. Like the annual general meeting is literally a formal meeting to to you know um, uh, sign off the the, the business of, of an organisation for a year. That's actually what it is um, mm-hmm. in in its purest form. It's become a bit of Q and A for shareholders. That's all great too. 
recently, last couple of years, they went online a lot because of obviously COVID and everything else. There was some talk about making them only online. That that didn't quite get up. Uh, I'm I'm really I've got views both ways in this one, mate. So I'll ask you: Is AGM season is it is it what it's cracked up to be, or is it just one of those things where we all feel like we're getting some value, and we all convince ourselves it's necessary and worthwhile and useful, and so we all go, "Oh, thank God that happened. That was great." <laughs> I my, my my rhetorical question, but partly real question, is: What actually changes because there are AGMs these days? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm kind of I can I can see it both ways. I've been to some which is just, in fact, I, I probably a majority, not a large majority, but mm. a majority. I just afterwards think, what a waste of time. Mm. There was no new information that that was there. I just went through the motions, you know. It, it, uh, and then I've been to others which are just brilliant, mm. and um, I, I feel as though companies should have them. Absolutely, mm. they should. I am big believer in that they should all be online because yeah, it's agreed. well, it's the year two thousand and twenty-two, and yeah. so why wouldn't you? <laughs> it's not hard, guys. It's not hard, yeah. you know. Get 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 the IR person with the phone and stand at the mm. back at the very least, right? Mm. Like it's sort of not all of us can afford to fly mm. to Perth and then Melbourne and then Brisbane and you know a tech. You just can't do it all. Mm. So it's just mm. just make sure that all the information is is available and yeah. there. Um, the best ones for me are always. And this is another reason why I love the small caps is because you can go to an AGM yes. and there's literally four people there. <laughs> yeah. once, once you get rid of the the auditors and the people from the companies, like yeah. you and yeah. three other investors, yeah. Um, and that's it's just a great opportunity to to um, speak direct to management. It's mm. not that they're going to be giving you anything that hasn't been disclosed, or at least if if they do, run a mile because yeah. you know if they've told you, they've probably told a hundred you know, other people already. Mm-hmm. So that's that's mm-hmm. a that's a illegal, and you do not want that to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Although although you'd be surprised. Yeah. Um, uh, but it is it is mm. you I. <sighs> One of the things that I, I I tend to be on the lookout for, and I think I've gotten better at spotting, is you get the kind of management team who are very keen to talk to you about the shares and the prospects <laughs> yeah. of the shares. And yeah. then you get others who are very keen to talk to you about the business and mm, what they're doing mm. and the value that they're delivering and the vision that they have for the company. Mm. And in the case of the former, big red flag. Mm. You know, it's like, why do you care about the share price for? Yeah. I mean, obviously, we all care about the share price. It's kind of like it, 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 it's... It's important, mm, mm. but it's also not important. <laughs> or put it this way: if it's the only thing that you see as important, yeah. uh, yes, yeah, yes, you, you get a very clear sense of managers' priorities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you do, you do, and they've probably got vesting uh, the shares and options <laughs> yes. and stuff that and are. That's why it's important and, to them. Yeah, that's right. You know, maybe yeah. they're running out of money and they need yeah. to raise cash. They need a high share price. Blah blah blah. All of that kind mm, of stuff. But mm. the people. This is what's so we often, as I've often said with with Strawman, part of what we do with with our premium members is we we hold mm. um, CEO meetings a couple times each week, and sometimes the CEO is a little bit nervous before, and it's like, what are you going to ask and this and that. And oftentimes they're just once when we sort of look, let's just want to speak for an hour, find out a bit more about the business, and 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 almost always they contact me afterwards and say, oh, that was just great because oh, we never get those questions, mm. and it's not not that I'm offering any sort of brilliant insight, and you know I'm not I'm not Michael Parkinson or anything like that, but it's just. <laughs> The focus is on the business and, and the really great entrepreneurs mm. that are the business people. Mm. That's what they want to talk about. Yeah, and that for me is the really exciting part. So mm. long-winded answer there. Mm. If you can get to an AGM and you can get a sense of where the priority lies and you get a chance to mm. in- connect with your employees because they you own, a bit, you own the business and yep. by definition they are your employees, yep. um, it, it's, it, it can be a great opportunity. 
although there's there's a lot of there's a lot of fluff to it. The, in, in in general the bigger the company the bigger the waste of time is my is my um take i like that i like that how do you guard against the general vibe of or the general sense of most of us walk away from 99 percent of management meetings like them a little bit more than we did when we walked in oh, you know my my biggest and this is about management meetings hard. more than just agms right so it's, it's more than just yeah. that um yep. But yep. my my I don't I don't do as many management meetings as some people would suggest I do or think I do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's largely because if I've got a question for a company I'll absolutely ask the question. If I want to know something I'll ask, get in contact because knowing the answer to a question is super useful. But by the time you spend an hour with anybody, generally humans like people, right? Unless someone's a real so and so, you're going to feel. I mean, you and I, I didn't like you to start with. No, no I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, you know, <laughs> we, we sit down with anybody, and you just you tend to like them more. I mean, <laughs> Been enough time with you maybe don't like them again after that but um <laughs> but you know you, you like somebody a bit more when you've spoken to them and then a ceo is probably going to be better than average at being likable and, and convincing you to like them and and they spend an hour telling you what's good and what works and you ask them why it's great and they say oh this is why it's great oh good okay that's good to know thank you and the whole structure the whole conversation um, and the agms are almost that on steroids right because they're there to mm-hmm. actually do the show um, even if it's not, you know, and you're right about the small companies. I, I agree with you for that. For it's worth. But how do you how do you guard against that bit? Because I, I said I, I don't remember the last time I went to. Where I didn't walk away going, oh, that, no, that's that's pretty good. I like that. I, I, no, no, I'm or manager presentation, right? We've had them at Motley Fool Platinum. Oh, gee, that's a that's a great presentation. I buy shares in that company almost yeah. every time, and, and I don't always do it every time. By the way, but it's that vibe. How do you how do you stop that? It's an excellent point, and and you've you've got to remember that the person on the other side of the table knows the business a hundred times better than you do. You know, this is the first time you've spoken to them. They've probably spoken mm-hmm. to 100 analysts and investors beforehand. So they know the questions. They know the, the answers mm-hmm. that work. They know um, what people want to hear. Um, you don't generally become a chief executive officer or very high up in the, in the management team because you are a, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, you know, you're just an awful communicator who's not very bright. You yeah. know, you, you, yeah. <laughs> you tends to sort of be, they're in these positions mm-hmm. because they are very, very good uh, representatives for, for the business and very, yeah. very sharp people. So um, <laughs> it is hard. It is very, it is very hard. I, I think there's, for me, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, just trying to keep, Keep the radar up for um, possible red flags. As I said before, one is is people who always want to talk about the share price. Yeah. Uh, people who are always, and then the another one is you get sometimes people will try and give you hints as to, oh, just think, I think you might be interested in what we've got to say in a few months. And it's like, you know, it's kind of. I feel as though on one hand, it's like, oh, oh, I've just I've just gotten in possession of something that's valuable. You know, I'm on the inside, and and it just. It's very dangerous for a bunch of reasons, but it's mm. also the thing you've got to slap yourself around the face is like, well, you know, mm. I don't know you from Adam. Yeah, exactly. You owe me nothing. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, and, and you're trying so to, like, and you're trying to convince me. Your your entire job is to convince me of these things, generally speaking. Yep. yep. So I feel special. I feel as though I've been I'm, I'm included. <laughs> right. The reality is, is that you're 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 very deliberately trying mm, to convey mm, something mm. that something that something massive is about to happen. Yeah. Right. And I, I've been doing it for enough to know that almost never it does happen. Yeah. And it was just like I was being conned, and and the easiest, you know, we, we're just easy to con. We all are, regardless. Yeah. And hope springs eternal too, right? If, if, like we, yep. we 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 willingly let ourselves be conned. Like, well, maybe this is the one. Maybe yeah. maybe this is maybe this is the break. Maybe someone that strikes gold that cures cancer that grows from nothing to be the next software as a service gazillion dollar business. It's it's we want to believe yeah. it's it's X file stuff. Yeah. So I don't I don't have an easy answer. I mm. think you've mm. just it comes with. Experience, it comes with mm. uh, maturity, it comes with trying to sort of 
just bear in mind some of these phenomena. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I look, I, I almost always come away from an investor meeting thinking, oh, seemed like a really smart person. <laughs> exactly. Seemed like, yep, <laughs> in good hands. I always do. You know, it's, it's hard. Not always, but, mm. but often. Mm. And it's, it's something you've got to guard against. Mate, this week, um, <laughs> again in the paper, um, one of the one of the funniest things I think I've said for a long time, uh, Meyer. We, we've talked about Meyer on off for a long time. It is just this dead company walking in my view. Although it's done a pretty good job of bouncing back, as online sales are going at like a thirty percent clip a year, which is really impressive. Um, and maybe the lesson is if you have a brand that you can use to your advantage online, it's actually worth more than I thought it was. I, I'm not convinced Meyer is as dead as I used to think. Um, if only because that online business is something people. You know, whether it's a familiar brand, whether it's whatever it is that's getting Maya to get online sales growth that is massively outstripping in-store sales growth, um, then something's going right there for Maya. So maybe, maybe it's going to survive. But uh, famously, Solomon Liu, the man for whom the, the phrase billionaire rag trader was obviously invented and is only ever used. No one else is a billionaire rag trader except for Soli. Uh, Soli Liu, and a spectacularly good retailer, by the way. Um, Premier Investments is his... Is his uh, is his baby, um, Just Jeans, Smiggle, Peter Alexander, a whole lot of other stuff. Uh, that owns a share in Breville as well. And Solly owns, I don't think through Premier, though, I could be wrong, uh, a decent chunk of Maya. And so he's pushed a few times to have the Maya board overthrown. It seems to be an obsession that Solly can't quite let go of. And I'm not sure whether Maya are doing him a favor or not by keeping him away. Uh, you know, in one version of the future, Solly takes over, fixes the company, and is like, oh my God, it could have been this good all the time. Or Solly finally gets what he wants. And then sometimes you've got to be careful what you wish for, right? Because you might just get it. And if he ends up getting Maya and gets to do, run it and it really still doesn't work, he's going to have to eat a whole lot of humble pie after decades of, uh, of bagging the Maya board for doing everything wrong. Mm. Uh, but the, so that, that's the background. The funniest thing I saw was this week, Maya have asked Solomon Lou to please stop buying shares. And I just thought that was hysterical. Like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know why they thought he would want to do that, what they thought was in it for him. I just, I just find the whole thing really, it's a really, really bizarre set of circumstances. Not only should a board actually not care who owns the shares, they should be agnostic as to who's owning. Because mm. to your mm. point before, um, you know, proportionally, we are all equal owners, one share, one vote effectively, yeah. right? And so, yeah. you know, why they should care whether Solid does or doesn't. Now, we know why. It's because they don't want to have to listen to Solid <laughs> carry on. Um, but I've got to think also, mate, that Solly actually being potentially interested in a takeover actually helps the Maya share price. There's got to be someone out there who says, Maya's too cheap to ignore. I'm going to buy it just in case Solly launches a bid, just in case there's a takeover. You know, it's, I, can't, I can't imagine it in what circumstance the, the Solomon Lou, you know, share purchases, possible takeover rumors, possible involvement is a bad thing. What, what am I missing? Why does the Maya board so desperately want Solly to start playing nice? Yeah, it's it's bizarre for all the reasons that you say. He's just been creeping up the register. Yep. I think you're allowed to buy 3% uh, every six months. <laughs> Correct. Um, Let's actually unpack so that very quickly, mate. So if you own more than 20% of a company, yep. if you own, if you want to buy a large number of shares, you have to officially launch a takeover bid. You have to offer yep. to buy the whole company. So yep. if I own 20% of, of Strawman and I want to buy another share, or more, it's not there's a 3% rule you talked about, but if I want to buy more, I would have to, under the general rules, for everyone to buy all of their shares. But there is what they call the creep provisions, which allow you, as you say, to buy about 3% every six months. And so you can slowly move up the register without having to launch a proper takeover. So I just thought which I'd is, sell it Which out. is exactly what he's been doing. Yes, so exactly. was, uh, I'm just reading it now. So about almost 11% in July. Yep. Yep. Wait, 
Um, yeah, ten point seven seven percent in July twenty twenty one. He's mm-hmm. creeping it up and creeping it up. And uh, in fact, yeah, bought a big chunk, and but now it's about twenty two point eight seven percent. So it's almost a quarter of the company. Uh, and he's operating within the law, and yep. he's got every oh, yeah. right to do yeah. it. And why would the board care? I mean, yeah, I get it's a distraction, <laughs> but I mean, it's not a. I, I guess I think all of us are like this because again, it's just mm. a human thing. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. these people probably just find it a bit of an annoying for their jobs <laughs> and what they're meant to do. Yeah, I would say, yeah. well, uh, I don't really care about your job as a shareholder. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're actually elected by me and other shareholders mm. to represent mm. our interests. And, you know, if, if, he's, if an incredibly experienced, successful retailer has got something to say, oh, I mean, mm. why are you mm. beating him away for? I don't get it. It'd right. be different if you were covering yourselves in glory yes. and the business <laughs> is going from strength to strength yeah. and you've got yeah. this like ne'er-do-well sort of there going, oh, I can do it better, I can do it better. I was like, well, maybe he can, mm. guys. You know, maybe he actually can. Um so I don't know. It's just I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole personally. <laughs> so it's kind of I haven't followed the story closely. <laughs> but this is the thing with a business like Meyer, is not not to be too dismissive of it for any shareholders that are out there. Yep. But it's just, you know, retail we've often talked about a diabolically tricky business, very, very cyclical business. This is also, you know, in that part of the market which is facing more structural challenges than, than mm-hmm. most. Mm-hmm. And it is the kind of business I mean it's not worth zero. I think there's something there. Mm-hmm. And I think if you get a, a genius retailer, and maybe that's Mr. Lou, I uh, can probably really turn it around and really make it hum. Yeah. Uh, but but it's but it's but it's sort of I, I I like to look largely for things that have really nice sort of structural advantages in in the business itself. Mm. Not not that rely on a genius. You know, there was, what's the Buffett saying? Is that you you want a business that a ham sandwich can run because <laughs> sooner or later you're going to have one. Um, so yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. What what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I think the the whole idea of like, yeah, well, I think honestly, what um, the the the, the please stop creeping up the register was actually partly police stop buying issues, but also would you please take us over and and put us all out of our misery? It was one of those kind of can you do one of the other police solely because seriously, this is as you say, it's a distraction, it's annoying, it's all those kind of things. Um, uh, yeah, like I think I think that's that is that is the challenge. Frankly, this is the other thing, mate. This is a five hundred million dollar company these days, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and th- I mean it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Uh, but given the size of the operation, given the brand, given what it used to be, all that kind of stuff. Um, by the way, Premier Investments that Solly owns a very large chunk of is a $3.6 billion business. It's worth more than seven times what Meyer is worth. Um, and it's all about <laughs> the, the quality of the retailing, right? So uh, to your yep. point, as a Meyer shareholder, as a Meyer director, I'm like, Solly, come in. Please come in. Like, uh, whatever, Help you know, us out. Whatever it is Help you've got. Yeah, and it just, I feel like it's kind of, personality politics at some at some point now yeah. i wouldn't also put it past solo to try and you know get a get a deal done on the cheap so you don't want to on behalf of other shareholders let it all happen too quickly from someone who's potentially you know the old frenemy thing a friend and enemy at the mm-hmm. same time you want to be mm-hmm. careful what you let solely do or how what you let him be involved in not that he's doing anything untoward he's going to get the best deal he can he's a very savvy businessman he's made a career out of it so yeah you want to be careful if you're dealing with solely you just got to you know catch your fingers when you when he shakes your hand just to make sure um again nothing nothing illegal nothing improper just you know he's, he's going to do what he can do to get the best price he can for the assets he buys of course he is that's um, just that's just sensible right right so you got to bear, you gotta bear that in mind yeah. he's, not, he's not there as a charity case but no. as you say when he, when he comes from a business at seven times the size says hey i'd like to help guys when they continue to rebuff him, no, sorry, we've got nothing to learn from you. Go away. We don't want it. We don't want you here. I, I really does make you. It really does make you wonder. Uh, I don't. I don't love Myers business, mate. I have said before. Um, this is a. This is a business that th- when we were, when I was a kid, right, I would go to my manager's house and she would take us into town. 
Jump jump and onto the penny farthing. Off you'd kind, go. Be kind. It was, a, it was at least a horse and cart. <laughs> thank you. No, we get, we, get, we get on the bus. She was in the east suburbs of Sydney. We get on the bus. This is when the east suburbs were uh, working class, by the way, rather than, rather than whatever. Uh, we'd get on the bus. We'd go into town. And into town meant you'd, you'd literally you'd dress something not, a bit nice and you'd wear around the house. You'd, you'd go into town and you'd go to a department store because there weren't shopping centres. The Westfields didn't exist in the way they do now. And so you'd go to what was then Grace Brothers in Sydney, now Maya. Um, and it had everything there. And that's why you go. You got the food hall there. You'd have clothes. You'd have shoes. You'd have toys. You'd have books. It was it was the forerunner of the of the the shopping center, and it was great. Yeah. But these days, Meyer inside a shopping center is kind of like well, it's the poor cousin of the shopping center inside the shopping center. When you got to ask yourself, well, hang on, there's a toy shop across the thing. There's a bookshop upstairs. Well, books don't exist anymore. But you know, there's games downstairs. There's suits over there. Why am I walking in the front door of Myra with DJs these days? I don't know the answer, mate. So to your point about structural challenge, at some point, Myra is too cheap to ignore. Um, the online sales are doing something. I think mm-hmm. at, in some, in, if, if Myra is worth three times today's price in a couple of years' time, I won't be surprised. Mm-hmm. If they've been smart enough to close down some of the loss-making retail stores, keep a couple of marquee stores for the brand and then go online. Mm-hmm. You know, People are buying happily and in, large, in droves from Myra online. Um, so it's got something there that's worth something. I think that, to my mind, is the future. Pers- persisting with this high cost, super high cost per square foot, massive stores, low levels of sales, undifferentiated offering, that to me is just craziness. So I, in some version of the future, they've got a marquee store in maybe five CBD locations across the country, and that's it. And otherwise, the, the, the business exists online. And I think that's, that is, if, if that's the future, if that's what Maya looks like in three to five years, and it's worth two or three times the current price, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But I don't have enough faith, to Solly's point, I don't have enough faith in management to actually do exactly that. And that's, that'd be my, that's why I wouldn't buy the shares. There's no sign that they have really properly bought into that, that version of the future. Yep, another Buffett quote there is... Turnarounds. The problem with turnarounds is that they yeah, rarely turn around. Turn. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they seldom turn. Yes. Um, so yeah, you know, I wish I wish them luck. I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah. It, it's a very, and it's not to be that that armchair critic who you, you mm. know mm. try to suggest that this is something easy or even possible. Mm. Um, mm. But but again, I've often said that the whole the whole investing is hard enough without having to add extra yeah, degrees of difficulty right. on top of things, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And there are no extra points for degree of difficulty, Correct. right? So it's sort of, no, no yep. not for me. Agreed. Mate, um, quick one on, oh, let, let, let's, let's, let's wade into the, the property realm for a little bit. Uh, I, this is, why I think it's interesting for investors is because it actually is, an, is a, a version of what we've been seeing on the markets now for the last 10 or 15 years. And the state governments around the country, this time the New South Wales government of Dom Perrottet and, and, and group are um, talking about, again, for like the third or fourth time in a few years, trying to replace stamp duty, the one-off uh, property tax when on, on purchase. We knew that you stamped a contract. That's what was stamp duty. Um, they're, kind of, they're trying to replace it with a annual land tax. And it just, you know, we, for all of, and, and they talk about it being an affordability measure, which is complete garbage in my opinion, you may disagree. Uh, but they also talk about it being something that's going to protect the state's revenue. And just struck me, this is, this is land as a service. You know, we talk about software as a service where instead of paying for the software up front, you pay a smaller amount every month or every year to have access to the, to the, to the, uh, the piece of software, whether it's zero, for example, in cloud accounting, or there's a hundred out there now these days. Um, this this just struck me as land as a service where the government's gone, hang on, if you look over there on the on the stock market, those guys have realised doing this once and having a lump sum is fine. 
But if you can get someone to pay every single year for the same thing, yeah, smaller amount. But over over the long term, you'll raise a whole lot more money. It's a much better business model. I just and uh, much more reliable and <laughs> yeah, even and exactly, steady. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I, I can't help but but feel the uh, New South Wales government's taken trying to take some lessons at least from some of these companies saying, why don't we do that instead of you know relying on this because it's super lumpy, right? In great years, when property's going through the roof and everyone's selling, everyone's buying the you know massive turnover. The state governments just make a squillion dollars. Mm-hmm. When property prices fall and or it's not even the, the property prices falling per se, it's when people stop turnover. buying and selling. Correct, turnover. When they stop mm-hmm. doing that, almost like the stockbrokers, again, there are so many different um, parallels here, right? Uh, stockbrokers don't, don't make money whether I, whether I make or lose cash in my investments. They just make money the more times I actually do something. Don't just stand there mm-hmm. do something is their motto. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just, I, just, I just thought it was fascinating, mate, just because the government seemed to be learning a little bit at least from, from the stock market. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't take a single word that the state or federal <laughs> or any politician says about property seriously. I mean, it's just they've just lost all credibility. Right? Like, well, every, what do you every, really like, think, Andrew? I, I would love to know what you actually think. Well, it's it's kind of it gets, there's always a bit of sort of you know, oh, what's the word for it? ideology is probably the best word for it. You know, in there and how things shouldn't shouldn't be done. But we've we've we have been doing the same dumb thing now for as long as I can remember, which hasn't worked. And we all sit there and goes, well, housing affordability, that's a real problem. Oh, yes, housing affordability. You, you talk to your 12-year-old and goes, Dad, does that mean that prices have to go down? Well, uh, no, no, we don't want that. We want we want more affordable housing, but but to not, not be cheaper. It's like, exactly. How do you, Dad, how do you square that circle? Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. well talk to our politicians, son, because, <laughs> exactly. you know, it's it's an absolute man. And by the way, I'm not sort of sort of, you know, here cheerleading for massive plummeting <laughs> uh, property prices. That's yeah, going to be bad be for everyone. Yeah. And, and so people often misunderstand me. <laughs> but I'm just sort of saying there are, there are certain... Um, unavoidable truths, you know, and there is there is a there is a massive crisis there. Um, really good four corners on that actually last week. Um, okay, it's 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 a really diabolical problem in, right. in terms of yeah uh, um, the haves and haves not and hoard- housing affordability. It's such a basic fundamental human right, mm. you know. I I would argue housing is sort of sort of mm-hmm. the, the foundation yep. from which everything else builds, and and there's a real problem there. It's mm. fine if you kind of got in early enough and you've got your twelve investment properties, and good for you. <laughs> Um, for everyone else, it's very, it's very hard. You're never sure what you just, think, Andrew. Oh, we just, I think the, the broader problem is we've just financialized everything. I and so agree. anyway, it's, it's all, it, and, and, and for them to sort of say it's about affordability, it's mm. just like, well, I don't think what you mean is affordability. <laughs> insane. The other person would have the same kind of concept of affordability. Yes, and, yes. and second, it's not, it's about, it's about improving the budget, the, the transparency, the predictability, yeah. Yeah. the, the cash flows of, of tax receipts. Of course it is. Of course it is. In fact, I'd actually respect it more if it would just come out and just yeah. t- treat us like an adults and, <laughs> And tell us, and I'm okay. I'm a. I, I actually, I, I actually do err on the side of a land tax. Anyway, mm. I think it's fair. Why do we want to penalise people? Don't we want a more mobile economy? Don't we want something where I can pick up and move where where there more jobs and opportunities are? And like there are there are good economic arguments to sort of advocate mm. for that kind of thing. So why why are we only penalise? Like, so if I if I sit in in a you know. 400 acre castle in the middle of town and never ever 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 pay a cent because I never move it feels mm. as though it's not it I don't know it feels like we're taxing the wrong thing to my mind but I do realize that there's very very strong opinions on either side so yeah no, I think I think that's fair I um I I am on the other side reasonably firmly well see here's the thing like I think 
I'm not even sure property tax is a great idea, whether it's stamp duty or land tax, quite honestly. So it's like, take, you know, if, if it's a one or the other question, I think it's a very worthwhile question. So, well, why, why is that the thing? And I think yeah, my, my, only, my only challenge to, well, one of my challenges, but my major challenge to, to your point about mobility, which I completely agree from an economics perspective is, and let, let, me, let me put my green left socialist, uh, tree hugging, hippie, lefty, pinko, you know, commo, whatever, hat on for a second. Um, and, and just wonder whether, you know, a mobile society, sure, uh, my, my young bloke could get a job in Karatha if that's the only place he can find a job and at least he could move there and that'd be okay. He wouldn't be penalised for that. It's like, well, do we not care a little bit more about the social bits of society and the whole idea of like, you know, do we want to tear communities apart for jobs 4,000 kilometres away? I don't know. I'm not entirely sure that that's the, that is actually the thing that we want to be focusing on, right? If that's, if that's the whole, let's not, let's not have land tax so that people can be sent anywhere to, you know, make widgets for the, for the greater good. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's a completely appropriate thing to do. I'm not entirely sure that mobility in of itself. We shouldn't probably retard it, but I don't know that we should use that as a as the greatest example of what a functioning you know great society would be because we can send anybody anywhere for any job because it suits us. You know, I think that's that's the bit I would probably again I'll, I'll put my linko lifto pinko puffo como hat off and and, and do uh, do something else. But you know that that idea is something that kind of sticks in my craw. I just. You know what? You know what gets me about land tax is just that idea of the long-term cost of it. That in, mm. you know, if you if you move house every five years, land tax is fine, right? Uh, I, I, my mother's not going to caught up with this because she's grandfathered in. It's all fine, so it's not about me. It's not about my mother. But she's been in her place now since 1978. Now, whatever stamp duty, even if she pays stamp duty today's rates, that'd be paid off in 12 years. So the remaining what's that? 44 years. So she, you know, next 32 years of that, she would have paid overs on land tax versus what she would have paid in stamp duty. And that's the thing I, you know, if, if you even did it out and said, you know, it's roughly the same amount over a lifetime, it's like, fair enough, you know, I, I get it. Um, I just, I just, I don't know that, people have a very, very, very opposite view to me on, on unproductive assets. My thought is just, if land is sheltered to your point, if it's a place we live in, all that kind of stuff, is that then the thing we want to tax? Is that, you know, we want to have people who have to pay X thousand dollars a year from now until kingdom come, including in retirement as, a, as an additional cost to them just literally existing in their homes. I'm just, it just feels to me like, you know what, if, if that's, if that's our, per, is that our vision of a perfect society? I don't know. It feels like we've got something wrong somewhere there. I, I think just that idea the, of making it more expensive for someone to stay in their house that just feels pretty crappy. For all the reasons you talk about, about we've this would actually you know further financialize housing in, in one sense. I know we've got to pay for services and stuff, and I get there's something there. Just you know, if you're not going to give more people more pension, you're going to ask them to pay more land tax, or if you're going to you know not give people pay rise, ask to pay more land tax. It feels a bit like a bit of a suck punch, sucker punch, right? Like no, no, stamp duty, everything's great, right? And then five years later, look back and go, but hang on, that means that yeah, yeah, we got you, we got you, mm. you're sucked in. <laughs> That's the bit that I, I struggle with. Yeah, and the devil's in the detail, right? So it's it sort of will will as a concept do that you can sort of debate mm. pros and cons on either side, but then what's the rate that we're paying? The example yes, you true. gave there yep, was yep. was was a twelve year equivalent. Sort that of was the government's. Or. That's the government's. The, the, when they originally proposed this, or originally even uh, about twelve months ago, when they last talked about it, I think it was a twelve year. Um, whatever that road is, zero, zero is out of twelve mm. years. So if you moved, if you moved before twelve years, you're better off paying a land tax. If you stayed for at least twelve years, you're better off having paid stamp duty up front. Was there on their own numbers at that point? It may have changed because yeah. politicians changed their minds, but that was the at that point that was the um, that was the trade off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I actually I actually don't have a strong view um, on it. I mean, there's 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 people out there who have spent their life studying tax <laughs> policy and and the rest <laughs> yeah. of it, there and you that. can't have. That's the point, right? You can't have that. this conversation in yeah. isolation yeah. because 
there are services that we all expect and demand. <laughs> yeah. And you got to pay for it somehow. Yeah, true. So it's a question of how. What what do we, you know, the the, the, the big overarching principle tends yeah, right, to be tax right. what you want less yep. of. Yep. You know, so that's why we there's a high tax on cigarettes and those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's something to be said about mm-hmm. the merits of a land tax, but it's just kind of a stupid it, it's sort of like if we want to talk about someone's health and we're only going to talk about what they eat on Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so what it, about like the rest of the week? Every, every yeah. government tax review, let's talk about tax, but don't mention the GST and don't touch income taxes and don't touch, yeah. just but review tax otherwise. Like, but that's, yep. like, they, but you wouldn't, why would you do that? Yeah. You need a big, holistic, you do. almost complete redesign and that happens in exactly zero parallel universes. So <laughs> it's sort of, it's, <laughs> that's what the whole parallel universe thing breaks down, right? There are some things that actually just never happen no matter what. There is nowhere in the entire multiverse <laughs> where there is some some <laughs> reality where there is just like a very elegant, simple, easy to administer, perfectly fair tax system. Just doesn't government. exist. Yeah, no, they're yeah. all they're all they're all unicorns, unfortunately. Yep, yep should have yep. got them. Should have got them on the uh, on the ark in the first place. Now we're paying the price, mate. Uh, let's finish off with a quick chat about Dubba. Dubba is a um, cloud call recording business. That uses AI. Now, you, you may know this better than me, so feel free to uh, improve on my poor description. It uses AI to try and give businesses that use it uh, better feedback, more useful feedback. Uh, it's supposed to be kind of, you know, think about call recording. You, you, know, you ring a bank, this call is being recorded for quality and coaching purposes, all that stuff, right? That's, that's what they do. Um, fast forward to a, a system that call, records those calls plus allows it to be searched, allows, uh, you know, real-time understanding of who's doing what, what they're doing, what they're thinking, how they're feeling, all that kind of stuff. It's supposed to be, you know, call recording on steroids. And it was a pretty compelling idea. Huge amounts of customers, like just, and really impressive customers, you know, banks and other people taking this stuff up. This was supposed to be the next big thing. Share price fell 35% on Monday, uh, which is a lot, as as they say in the trade, uh, because the company spent a week uh, with its shares suspended while it tried to get those those. Uh, accounts actually published. They were late in publishing the accounts. When they did finally publish the accounts a week late, the CFO walked the plank, uh, voluntarily or otherwise. I don't know whether they were clear about what happened there, but effectively the CEO's gone, ostensibly because they didn't get the numbers done on time. But at the same time, they also had to restate, uh, recategorize, reclassify revenue and other things. A pretty messy situation, mate. I'm not surprised at all. Shares lost a third, even if you don't know any company. If the, if the situation is just, by the way, the records were late, the CFO is gone, uh, and they had to restate some financials, that's about a third fall, almost by definition, no matter who you are, mm. right? Maybe not if you're Woolies, but even then, you still have a decent chunk of, of change being lost. Yeah. Um, what lessons, if any, are there from the Dubber story? There's a couple lessons. Um, one is is that, like, the, you know, there's all kinds of theories, and we talk about it a lot, you know, how security should be priced and the rest of it yeah. but you know a huge 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 part of it is confidence you know the whole mm. the whole damn system is built on confidence <laughs> and when you are late and the auditor is not signing off on your report you go into a trading hole and the cfo walks there's nothing that's not to suggest that there's anything necessarily inappropriate there there's a whole bunch of legitimate reasons why that that could happen but it's not a good look let's be honest with it yeah. you know it doesn't it doesn't instill confidence market's not and- stoked with that sort of thing they're not stoked by it. You know, back, back in about this time last yeah. year, shares are at four bucks. Now they're oh, at 40 cents. Yeah. They're, they're, they're you know, they've, yeah. they've fallen 90%. It's, mm. it's, um, again, a lot. <laughs> it's, it's really brutal. Um, why do they get to four dollars? Because you can go back, you it's know, even to 2018 and they were 50 cents. So they've yeah. kind of risen all the way up and come back down again. Well, 
actually they've got a really cool product mm. lots of people are using it um there's there's no denying it in fact mm-hmm. if you want to go back to to 2017 they were making like five hundred thousand dollars not even a million bucks in revenue and then they tripled it the next year <laughs> and then they like uh more than tri- quadrupled it and then they doubled it and then they doubled it and then just in the last year they've they've gone from 20 million to 35 million i mean the, the, it is a hockey stick mm-hmm. in terms of revenue so they are getting Lots and lots of traction. That's why the market got very, very excited. And this was a sign of the times, which which mm. I've, I've often remarked on, where there was a period there where we just didn't care about uh, costs. Uh, it was all just about top line. And and there's there's not necessarily a bad thing when there's a big, 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 literally global market opportunity here. Mm. Do you mm. really want to be too focused on near-term costs when it's just a land grab and you want to stitch that up? It's what Uber did. It's what Amazon did. It's what all the great tech companies did. Stuff worrying about the you don't want to nickel and dime this stuff. Let's capture the market, and then the cash flows will come. And when they do come, you've got incredible, almost monopolistic pricing power, and it's an incredible business. And we, we again, we know we know the examples of where it's worked. That's a revenue the growth is-, is not nothing, right? A business. I, I, I will say, I, I was never a double shareholder. I don't didn't I don't know this as well at all. But those are numbers you just talked about. That is oh, that yeah. is a business that objectively getting it done right is delivering something for its customers that the customers are loving in larger and larger numbers. Um, I I would speculate if you found a dozen businesses of this sort and you bought them all, you do really well over a long enough period oh, yeah. of time, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, it's it's, it's impressive, I and mean, you can't you can't. Well, I should be never say never, but I mean, <laughs> cash is cash, right? Yes. And then the actual cash receipts, if you look at that, are yeah. going up by similar degrees. So there's real customers paying real money mm-hmm. for this product. So it's 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 not nothing. The, but what? What the hope is always with these kinds of scenarios is that there's very positive unit economics at Mm -hmm. play and that there's a really attractive operating leverage that unfolds, particularly for a company that's very software-driven like this one. So we've got our software and every new client that we bring on, there's a bit of an integration cost and and all the rest of it. A little bit more service space, but then you're done, right? Yeah, it's all money to the bottom line. But here's I'll read out some other numbers for you. So (laughs) over that same period of time, from 20... 17 to 2022, the shares on issue have tripled. And they've tripled Mm -hmm. because despite that incredible um, uh, sales growth, the company's been losing more and more and more money. Um, uh, Even on a a per share basis, last year, the year that they had the highest amount of revenue that they have (laughs) ever had is the biggest loss that they have had. On a statutory basis, they doubled the amount of loss. They're losing 22 cents for every share that they have on issue that's out there. So I think the market is getting to the point where it's like, one, there's all these things that just not not great for um, for confidence. Mm -hmm. And, And two, the just cash is just gushing out of the door. Um, so that, that's the story of it. Now, does this does this mean this is the bargain of the century, um, <laughs> or is or is it you know where there's smoke, there's fire, and you know things yeah. can always drop another ninety percent again? I don't know, but but to me, I, I would I would personally um, I would want to see a little bit of traction and things start to move in the in the right direction. And if that can happen, and they they can turn things around. Yes, probably a, probably a bargain. Or it might be that they just continue to bleed cash and 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 you know shareholders never get back to those lofty heights again. So I don't own it either. It's it's a bit too hard basket for me. It's funny too, right, mate? Because in a different market environment, without rates going up and without investors having taken a bath on some of these tech stocks, this is still a four dollar stock. Yeah. And yeah. had the report been out on time and the CFO not resigned, it's a four dollar stock with considerable considerable ongoing revenue growth, and maybe in a market where investors are prepared to throw money at this sort of thing for a longer period of time, 
that cash outflow is completely worth it because there's more where that came from. And at some point in 2020, whatever, 23, 25, 28, this is a massive, massive business with... I mean, I've used the example before of Tesla, mate, and, and I, I should actually source this because I've never actually seen it written, but I'm told Musk had admitted that had there been a recession in Tesla's early years, the business would have gone broke. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, and you look at Tesla today and say, wow, what an amazing business. And, and to your point about parallel universes, in one parallel universe, there was a, there was a recession in 2017 mm. and Tesla doesn't exist anymore or, or is a subsidiary of Ford or something, right? Like that's, you know, and so, you know, is Dubba unlucky? Are investors unlucky? These are the things that you need to be really careful that we don't draw two straight lines through. You can look back and go, obviously, they're losing too much money. Obviously, this was not ever, ever worth $4. Obviously, 40 cents is the right price. And maybe it is. And maybe it absolutely is. But there's a scenario where you say, obviously, Tesla was going to go broke. And obviously, it was never going to have money. And obviously, it was, you know, too highly leveraged and it was too highly geared. It was never going to make any money. Uh, and, you know, there but for the grace of God in both circumstances go each company. Dubber could be today's Tesla, Tesla could be today's Dubber. And, you know, you're looking back going, wow, why didn't we buy Dubber at $4? It's now $40. What it's we? Um, it's hard, right? It's really hard. But the difference with Tesla is, I mean, it's probably not a fair comparison to the people at Dubber, but, you know, they, they had an incredible charismatic leader who... Oh, who's yeah. one of his greatest assets um, <laughs> for shareholders yeah. was the ability to get Very up on cult. stage yeah. and share... <laughs> and, and, and preach and share the vision mm-hmm. and people just wanted to buy in on that. And and it was, yeah. you know, it's playing out pretty well for the most part. So it's oh, kind totally. of like, it's working you nicely. know, it's sort yeah, of, yeah. Yeah. He, he he was able to um, rally the troops and sort of like, yeah, we can, I mean, people, the markets aren't that dumb, right? Like there's a lot of money <laughs> exactly. flowing out the door for Tesla there, but that, yeah. but he, he laid it all out. This is the plan. This is the strategy. This is what we're going to do. We're going to spend all this money on these, mm-hmm. these huge mm-hmm. gigafactory kind of thing. And it's going to, you know, we really don't start making money at scale, but we will be at scale. And when mm-hmm. we do, we'll have much more better economics and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And mm-hmm. I mean, get into the debate as to whether, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it may, maybe it all collapses tomorrow. I don't mm-hmm. know, but, yeah, but Dubba, right. Dubber doesn't, and this isn't being critical to to the CEO there, but it's mm-hmm. just sort of well, it's hard hard to compare yourself against Musk. Are you unless you've got that personality mm-hmm. where you can share this incredible vision, mm-hmm. um, you're going to struggle to yeah. to 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 uh, attract shareholders who are happy to continually tip money in, mm-hmm. which they will surely need to do yeah. until there is a positive operating cash balance. And if there isn't, then there's going to be more and more. Um, uh, shares being issued just to keep things afloat, you know, and, and not just not just the, it's not just a question of raising uh, issuing shares mm-hmm. to uh, to investors to mm-hmm. raise money to keep things going. I mean, the share based payments in FY twenty two was up forty four percent. So they're paying their employees in shares, and mm-hmm. I, I notice on the on the um, statements like it's okay, they're non cash items. I hate how they. It's such a pet peeve of mine. Where they they'll point out this is like oh it's okay well we gave everyone bunches of shares but it's okay it's non cash mm. as if there's no cost to it. Yeah, right. I mean yeah there's a cost. That's it's right, it's, it's right. the same way that that inflation costs me. You know yeah, it's exactly yeah. that. Again a twelve year old sort of understands it. And again <laughs> there's nothing inappropriate with share based mm, payments. In fact we mm. often talk about how good it is to make sure everyone's aligned. So I don't want to say it's it's automatically evil and stuff, but. But there is there is there there is the fact that cash is flowing out the door. There is the fact that you're increasingly paying more in share based payments, and the long term believers that are sitting there are now having to see added dilution at much lower prices. Where it's not as though it's not as though revenue is growing really massively, but the costs have stabilised. The costs have expanded 
you know, total non-operating and non-cash expenses were up 62%. (laughs) Total operating cash, OPEX, operating expenses were up 85%, 21 to 22. I'm just looking at the presentation now. So they've they've got a they've got a bit of a sales campaign ahead of them for shareholders I would say to reset <laughs> and and you you need to build confidence at this point and and I don't want to suggest for a second that yeah. there's reasons not to be you know I don't want yeah, to su- yeah, suggest yeah. that oh it it is it is all smoke and mirrors but you need to convince the market of that you need to really go on a charm offensive here and 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 sell sell the story because if you don't it kind of get into a bit of a death spiral. Mm. I like it, mate. Let's come back and check on that in six months' time and see how we go. In the meantime, mm-hmm. even though I've already said we're doing this in advance, will you come back on Sunday? Yeah, well, I've already done it, so you know it. Guaranteed. <laughs> I knew we back on Sunday. I will look forward <laughs> to seeing you then, and then we'll be back, of course, the Friday after with another Motley Fool Money. Until then, full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.